Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, Crazy Cat Lady 62612. Hi, Chris. Cool. Chris, I think I thought maybe you weren't joining us today. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so I sound okay. It looks good. Hi, Ray. Ray, are you uh, from, are you, uh, hi, Lou. Ray, are you here from Ireland today? Hello, Marina. Okay. All right. Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Revolution Broadcasting. I'm Zoe. It is Saturday, September 17th. Ray is here from a small country village called Worsington near Luni in Ireland. Uh, welcome. So glad you all are here. So uh, Jay is not here today um, because he is in Los Angeles. Um, our good friend Steve Peters passed away about um, eight weeks ago now. And um, this last weekend was his... Uh, was his memorial. I may speak about him in just a moment. Um, but before I begin and tell you uh, what we're going to talk about today, I want to start with a land acknowledgement. Um, I acknowledge that the land from which I am broadcasting, where I learn, work, and live, is Treaty 6 territory. This place is a traditional homeland for the First Nations and Métis peoples, and everyone in my region is part of this treaty land. The traditional name of this place is Amiskwachi Waskagan, which we call the city of Edmonton in Alberta, in Canada. Um, thanks all for being here. So, uh, so usually here on Sunday, uh, Jay gives gives a talk, and um, uh, he's in LA, like I mentioned. Uh, for those of you who don't know Steve, I wanted to mention, uh, say a few words about him before we begin. Um, thinking of him this weekend because it was his memorial. So uh, Steve uh, was a very special person. Um, he uh, um, most most known to this community because of an interview that he did with uh, with Jay's mom Tammy in uh, 1985, I believe, on uh, Tammy's house party. Tammy was a an evangelical televangelist, and uh, this was the first time that an interview with an openly gay man um, was ever made on Christian television. Um, and uh, it was a beautiful interview. And um, what was very notable about it was that he was there to talk about how he was living with AIDS. He was diagnosed with AIDS uh, back before it was called AIDS, back when it was called GRID gay-related immunodeficiency, and uh, he was a survivor. Um, he, is, uh, uh, he, he lived until, until this year, and uh, 
he was very special to a lot of people in this community. Um, he was able to connect with Jay and the two of them were, um, uh, became close. I was really honored to get to know Steve about a year and a half ago. Um, Jay put me in touch with him and uh, I talked to Steve on the phone and um, the second or third time that we chatted, I asked him if he would be my elder queer. Um, I, uh, and he knew exactly what I meant and some of you might have heard that sort of thing before. Uh, we don't have, we, we lost a lot of folks from a generation of, of, uh, of queer history to AIDS. Um, and uh, so to have someone in my life um, uh, who, uh, who not only uh, was gay, um, but of that generation um, and, uh, and also had some understanding of my experience with the church was very, very meaningful. And I was very honored um, that he said that he would, he would be that for me. And so uh, every week to three weeks or so, we talked for about a year. And um, uh, I remember one of the, uh, one of our first, one, our, our second or third conversation, he um, very well-meaning um, said, uh, said, Zoe, I want you to know that I believe that uh, God made you on purpose and God made you a gay man on purpose. And um, like I said, he was well-meaning um, because then I had a conversation with him after, after I shed a couple of tears, because it was very meaningful to hear, uh, Steve say such a thing. Um, I, uh, I chatted with him about how, um, I'm non-binary and I'm not gay. Um, and, uh, so we talked about uh, me being pansexual and talked about non-binary identity and he was always willing to listen. He didn't, um, he didn't, uh, come to our conversations like he had some great authority. He wanted to hear about me. And uh, so I, um, it was very meaningful to share that that year or so with him. The last time I spoke to him was a day that I was going to interview him on Instagram. We were gonna do a live together. And that day he went into the hospital and uh, it was just a couple hours before we were going to talk. And, um, and I gave him a call and he said, Zoe, I'm so sorry, I'm going into the hospital. And, uh, and knowing um, that he, at that time, was battling stage four cancer. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it was during the time of COVID and, and things, are, uh, things are, are hard when you're that age and you've um, lived the life that he has, I thought, it's possible this is the last time I'll get to speak to him. And so in the three minutes that I had, I made sure that I told him that I loved him and that I appreciated him and did my best to say everything that I would if it was the last chance uh, to talk to him. Um, and, uh, and I'm very glad I did because it was. And um, uh, anyway, um, I miss him. And uh, I know Jay does too. And I know that he's left a hole in this community. Um, even though he wasn't always in the chat, he was here almost every Sunday uh, on the live and he would chat with Jay almost every Sunday after his talk. And um, so Jay has been missing that and I will miss that today. So 
We miss you, Steve. Uh, rest in power. Today, I want to uh, give a talk that I think is probably going to take me half an hour to 40 minutes, uh, starting around now, and it's going to be a challenging one. Um, I've been uh, considering a lot the things, uh, the things that Jay has been talking about, the directions that he wants to go, um, especially how you've probably noticed if you've been here a lot that he's been talking about biblical scholarship a lot. Um, he's kind of name dropping that he's interested in biblical scholarship. He's talking about um, scholarly books on the book of Romans with it that he wants to go through to take us uh, through the book of Romans. Um, and then every once in a while he drops a bomb like maybe Revelation shouldn't be in the canon or um, or I don't believe that first and second Timothy and Titus are are actually written by Paul um, and so on and so forth. And these bombs kind of drop and um, and I see him do it with some trepidation and I um, and I recognize uh, the um, the reason why that is. And I've been chatting with him and um, considering what it means to sort of move forward with with biblical scholarship outside of the the sort of um, conservative mainstream, um, which is more apologetic, which is uh, uh, saying that uh, we we come to conclusions about the Bible, such as everything in the Bible agrees with everything else in the Bible, and then we look for evidence that supports that idea. So um, someone might say, you know, the Bible is sixty-six books in the Protestant Bible, and and every word from the beginning to the end, no matter who wrote each book, no matter where they came from, they all agree. And, uh, and, and, and you may have heard that yourself, you may believe that yourself. And, uh, and then to support that, instead of following the evidence to such a conclusion, you go to the archeology span or the history or the original texts, and you come up with um, the slightest possible uh, reason why it could be possible that these things don't contradict um, or, or, or a reason why, um, why uh, Jesus riding one donkey into Jerusalem in one of, the, one of the gospels and Jesus riding two donkeys somehow, not sure how he did that, maybe one foot on each donkey, um, in another gospel, the way that we can harmonize those two things um, and we, we, we write a story for how both of those things can be true at the same time. Um, but biblical scholarship takes a different view. Biblical scholarship says, what does the evidence say about this book that we're looking at? Um, and then following that evidence to its conclusion. Now, the reason that I say this is challenging is the reasons that for some of you that are listening right now might already be challenged. Uh, you might already be thinking, well, this is a scary thought. <laughs> Where is Zoe going to take us here? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to take you a lot of places with this because instead of, instead of going through and being like, oh my gosh, one donkey or two, um, we're going to talk about, um, what it means to look at biblical scholarship and what it means to think differently about the Bible, what it means to 
um, to consider yourself a Christian, a person in the Jesus story, and still, uh, you know, be willing to look at the Bible or the, the dogmas of Christianity with a critical eye. Hi, Selena, I see you. Solidarity right now. Um, I, uh, I got your message the other day and I'm thinking about you and I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, I'm standing right now, by the way, because uh, I've had a back injury. Uh, so I know that, that usually we have a little bit more of a casual situation with Jay sitting with a beautiful backdrop. I don't have a beautiful backdrop, I've got white. And that's because I'm at a friend's house who recently moved, um, so nothing is in place. Um, and uh, if I get uncomfortable standing, I will sit down. If I get uncomfortable sitting, I'll stand back up. Thanks for your grace while I do that. Um, pain is pretty powerful. <laughs> um, uh, when we get into the chat after I'm done talking, I might tell, I might share a little bit about uh, things I've learned about myself as I, uh, as I struggle with chronic pain. Um, that's a different story. I could have preached a sermon on that. Uh, so I want to ask your consent before I start, because there's going to be three parts to this, to this message, uh, uh, to this talk, excuse me. Um, I used to be a pastor and used words like message back in the day. Um, I try not to do that, but old habits die hard. So, um, so in this talk, I'm going to talk about three things. The first is I just want to talk a little bit about that biblical scholarship and the challenge that it is when it challenges our dogmas as we come up with, as we're exposed to new data about the Bible or about the history of Christianity. I just want to talk about what that means and, uh, and invite you to, to open up the possibility that this doesn't have to wreck your story of faith or your story of um, wrestling with the ideas and the stories and the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the many um, things that, that we've learned in the Bible or in our Christian traditions. The second part is I'm going to tell a story and the story is going to be about the two towers. So that'll be the middle part. Um, which is epic. Um, any three-parter with two towers in the middle is obviously going to be good. And then the third part is I'm going to tell a story that's called Adam and Eve and Steve featuring Danger Noodle. So each one, each of these parts is going to be a little more challenging than the one before. And so I will tell you as I go to each part. And uh, this is all going to be recorded. It's going to be released in a podcast later. You can stop at each one and let yourself feel those feelings. If you're upset by things that I've said, um, think about it. Um, interrogate those feelings and let yourself feel them um, and, and consider the things that I've said. If you don't believe the things I've said, that's okay. I'm not telling you anything that is the truth, okay? I am going to share some stories and some ideas and I invite you to consider them. And I invite you to consider how it feels to consider them. Um, and so if you're here, then, uh, then we'll take that as consent. <laughs> and, uh, and I will warn you as we ratchet up the tension. So part one, biblical scholarship. So 
Uh, some of you may have heard of a New Testament scholar named Bart Ehrman. Um, he has a podcast, he's written several books, and he is probably the, uh, the um, hello Roberta, hello Michael, <laughs> hello Lorena. Um, Bart Ehrman is probably the preeminent New Testament scholar today. And, uh, and he, he teaches, he continues to write books. I recommend his podcast. His podcast um, is called, I think it's called Misquoting Jesus. You can look him up, Bart Ehrman. Um, I think it's called Misquoting Jesus, um, but it's, it's fabulous. Um, uh, some of you have heard of Dan McClellan, who uh, Jay is a fan of. Um, Dan McClellan um, loves Bart Ehrman and, uh, and uh, quotes from him a lot. Anyway, uh, I was listening to Bart Ehrman's podcast and he talked about how uh, students will come to his class and, um, and, and they will have been warned about him. They'll have been warned that he's there to try and turn Christians into atheists. And, uh, and he used to be an evangelical himself and now he considers himself an atheist. Um, and, and he got there through biblical scholarship. And what he says is, I'm not trying to turn anyone into an atheist. He says, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make anyone stop believing. I'm not interested in making people stop believing. All I want to do is present the data, data that I came to because I was interested in the Bible. I was intensely interested in the story of Jesus. That's why I studied New Testament. And um, and as I studied and as I considered, this is where it brought me. But I'm not interested in turning anyone into uh, into an atheist. I just want to I just want to present the data. And there are many colleagues of mine who are biblical scholars and New Testament scholars and scholars of Koine Greek and ancient Hebrew who do have faith. Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and atheist that do have faith and study these things. And, uh, and he talked about how folks can be exposed to this data and some of them, they do decide to leave their traditions behind and others don't. He talked about students that come to the class and some of them go through the class and they find that at the end of the class, they say, I can't believe any of this anymore. And others, they leave the class and they say, this was the best thing that I ever could have done for my faith journey. And he talked about the difference between those two students. And he said, typically speaking, when a student comes to my class who is, who has one way of thinking about the Bible, one way of thinking about their tradition, one way of thinking about what Christianity is and what Christianity is not, um, black and white fundamentalist, those are the ones that when presented with the data their faith is shaken and they find themselves losing their faith, possibly leaving their churches. He said this, is, this happens over and over and over again in the years that he's been teaching. But then he'll have other students that will come who when they come to the class, they, uh, they have their hearts open and they are ready to say um, this Jesus that... Uh, that I've known for much of my life is important to me and is beautiful and, is, and has something to say 
And whether or not Jesus rode on two donkeys or one doesn't change that he said, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't change that he, on the cross, we have a story of the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When they hear the story of John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery and uh, she's brought before Jesus by the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, we found this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Our law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus says, let the one here who is without sin cast the first stone. And then they find out that this story is not in the original text, that this story from John chapter eight, and if you open your translation of the Bible, you'll probably find a little, a little marking in there that literally says it's right there in the text. This isn't found in the original manuscripts. The story is still meaningful to them. And the, uh, that phrase in the mouth of Jesus, one of the ones that may, Jesus may be most well known for, uh, maybe he never said it. Um, does this mean that we have to leave it behind? Maybe not. So I want to invite you to consider that it is possible to, uh, to walk this journey without holding tightly in a closed fist to every single thing that you've ever been taught about the Bible. It is okay to walk this journey, to learn things um, about the Bible and about the history of the Bible um, that are true, that are well-documented, that are um, uh, that the consensus of, of most scholars is uh, um, possibly different than what you've learned. It's possible to, to learn those things and continue in your faith. Um, this idea, um, this idea opens up the possibility of something that um, Dan McClellan talks about, which is renegotiation, renegotiation of scripture. When we have a black and white view of scripture and we come to the Bible with these ideas ahead of time that like, this is the way that it is. Um, uh, the, the thing that I believe is that every single word of the Bible agrees with every other word in the Bible. Um, um, a dogma, which is called univocality, as in like unit one vocal um, voice. So the, the whole Bible speaks in one voice. Um, the Bible doesn't say that it all speaks in one voice, but that's something that I'm going to believe and bring to the Bible. Um, that, that way of thinking about the Bible um, uh, is the same in every other dogmatic or fundamentalist or black and white idea that we bring to the Bible. And often we don't realize that we're doing it. Um, and when we do that, when any of those things are shaken, for example, um, some folks listening right now might be firmly convinced that the world was created 6,000 years ago in six days. And then there's others listening right now that read Genesis chapter one and say, wait, maybe we can read this as myth, which by the way, the word myth doesn't necessarily mean fiction and it doesn't necessarily mean 
untrue. It means it's a story that's told that contains truth. Maybe we can come to this story and look for the truth that it's telling that's different than that particular uh, crystallized idea. And, and one person comes and says, if, if science shows me that this isn't true, my entire faith is rocked. Somebody else comes to it and says, um, okay, what if, what if science shows me that evolution is a beautiful theory, um, that uh, um, all, all of biology rests upon and tells us about the way that we came to be and our relationship with all of life? Um, and, and both of them can hold their faith. Um, what's being done with that passage is a renegotiation. Um, and some of you might be listening right now and you started in one place and you were able to travel to the other. Maybe you grew up believing the world was created in six days, 6,000 years ago, and you were able to travel through and go, okay, maybe I can read this in a different way. Renegotiation of the text of the Bible has happened since the beginning of the Bible. Um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, didn't originally look like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible originally looked like four different sources that had a collection of stories, many of them that were the same from source to source, like similar stories, like the story of how the earth was created or how humanity um, or how humanity was formed or um, the story of a man named Joseph who was born to uh, a family of 12 brothers who were jealous of him. And there were these four different stories. And then people said, these are our stories. A few groups of people gathered these stories and said, these are our stories that are important to us. Let's put them all together. They represent all of us. And they put them together roughly chronologically. And when they put them all together roughly chronologically, they looked at them and they said, okay, this is, this is our text. We're going to call this Torah. And they looked at Genesis chapter one, what we call Genesis chapter one, the story of six days of creation and, and the creation of, of humanity. And then they looked at what we call Genesis chapter two, which is another story of creation. And they didn't see a contradiction putting those two stories next to one another. They said, okay, here's one story, here's another story. Even though, even though there, are, there are details in this, the, these two stories that don't match, both of these stories are important to us and they both tell us things about our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, our relationship to ourselves. We're gonna keep them both. Or in the story of Joseph, um, they said, uh, they said um, uh, was, it, was it the Ishmaelites or was it the Midianites that, uh, that took Joseph into slavery and sold him in Egypt? Um, uh, maybe it was the Ishmaelites, maybe it was the Midianites. Um, you know what? Even though that contradic contradiction exists in this text, when we put these two sources together, that's not important. That particular detail isn't important. What we have here is a story that is important to us and tells us something about our relationship to ourselves, 
our relationship to each other, our relationship to the land, and our relationship to our God. And then those people took those stories, and when they found themselves in, in uh, exile in Babylon, they said, what do these stories about a people in Egypt, in, enslaved, set free by God, what do these stories tell us about ourselves? What do these stories tell us about our situation today? And they told the story again, and they told the story again, and they told the story again. And um, if you're as excited about the Bible as I continue to be my entire life, I encourage you to go back to the Bible and look for these repeated stories. It's kind of like the Star Wars saga. Uh, it continues to rhyme over and over and over and over again. And of course, there are many things in the Bible that reference each other. There are many things in the Bible that harmonize beautifully. And the reason is because these stories were told over and over and over again, and new stories were told, and new, new teachings were made in each new generation and in each new epoch um, using these old stories and referencing them until we come to the story of Jesus, Rabbi. And many of you have heard of the story of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've read Matthew chapters five to seven, you know the story of the Sermon on the Mount, the story of Jesus going to a high place. But if you've read the book of Luke, the Sermon on the Mount isn't on a mountain. It's actually on a plane. It says Jesus goes to a level place. Because in the book of Matthew, it's important to see Jesus as a king. And he's standing in front of a bunch of people at the very, very top of a mountain, like Moses going up a mountain. And in the book of Luke, it's important to see Jesus as one with humanity. In the book of Matthew, we have a genealogy of Jesus that uh, goes back to Abraham because Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. And in the book of Luke, we have a different genealogy with different names that goes back to Adam because Jesus is part of all of humanity. Is one right or is one wrong? Not necessarily. These are, these are stories that are trying to present a story of Jesus um, to a certain people to be considered in their context. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jewish Messiah, who knew the Torah, stands up and says, you have heard it said, do not murder, as he stands up on a mountain, like Moses, who brought down tablets from a mountain that said, do not murder. He says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you hate your brother, then you've murdered him in your heart. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, what Jesus is doing here is a renegotiation of the text, and it's not unique to Jesus. This is a rabbinical teaching method that was normal in Jesus' time. There were rabbis in the first century that people would follow that would teach this way. They would say, you have heard it said, and they would share something that they knew was familiar to the people, and then they would give their teaching, which was their interpretation of that text. Jesus himself, in the Bible, 
is doing this renegotiation and saying, what does this text say for us now? And so that's my challenge. Can you consider that the same Bible that was used by slave owners in the United States to justify their slavery because the Bible does not condemn chattel slavery. They used it to say, this is okay, not only okay, but God thinks that it's a good thing that we have slaves. The same Bible that was used for that was used by abolitionists and African slaves in the United States to say, look at this story of people being set free from Egypt. God wants to set us free too. Just like the slaves in Egypt were set free, God wants to set us free too. And they use the same Bible to say the same God that they're claiming to, they're claiming to follow was saying two different things. And the same Bible that critics of Martin Luther King Jr. used to criticize the civil rights movement, to criticize Martin Luther King Jr., to say Romans 13 says you need to obey your government, and the Bible makes it clear that there is a separation between uh, different people groups, and we should have that same separation. That same Bible was used by Martin Luther King to organize the civil rights movement. And so we see that we have a text that is renegotiated by different people at different times to fit what they need for their people. And typically the dogmas that are most loudly shared and most often shared are dogmas that are shared because these are negotiations with the text that centralize power and hierarchy. And they create boundaries to say, these are the people that are inside our group, and these are the people that are outside of our group. And so my question for you, and I want to, want to challenge you with this, is what is it that you believe about the Bible that encourages you to welcome the neighbor? And what is it that you believe about the Bible or your Christian faith that says who's in and who's out? And is it useful? Which is most useful? Um, I'm gonna go to the second part in just a moment, but I'm gonna review my notes. That's the end of my first section, unless I find more in my notes. So uh, chat a bit. I wanna hear what you have to say here. And um, I'll be back with you in just a moment. Now I have two stories to tell. The first one is the two towers. This is part two. Um, so part two is the two towers. And uh, so I've brought you to Matthew chapter five, where Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And I'm going to do a little bit of renegotiation by telling another story. Uh, so this is a little bit more challenging because I'm going to be uh, telling a new story. And and you don't necessarily need to believe this story is true. Uh, these are all made up stories. So here's a made up story. I want you to consider whether it's useful to you, okay? You have heard it said that there was a man 
He built a house. And when he built that house, he built it on sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came, it washed away that sand and the house came down. And there was another man who built a house on a rock. And when the rains fell and the floods came, the house stood because its foundation was firm. This is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. You have heard that said, but I tell you, once upon a time, there were two children, Adam and Eve. And there was a, tr a third child. Uh, his, name was, uh, his name was Steve. Adam liked to put things together. Um, Adam liked to uh, build things up and uh, he was very particular. He was very particular about what he did and how he did it. He took, uh, he took his blocks, those little wooden blocks. They have little letters on the side painted. Um, they have little uh, pictures on, on four of the sides and then two sides with the colorful letters. He's got those little wooden blocks. You remember them. And uh, he puts it on the preschool floor. And then he puts another block on top of it. And then he puts another block on top of it. His favorite colors, red, and then the next red, and then the next red, because red is his favorite. And then he puts another one on top of that. And then he puts another one on top of that. And then he puts another one on top of that. And he does this every day in preschool to try and get as high a tower as he can. And uh, he's usually only able to get it about four, five, maybe six blocks high with the red blocks. When he runs out of red blocks, then he picks the orange ones. Eve, she doesn't use the blocks. Eve uses Play-Doh. And uh, little Eve uh, is sitting at the table. And uh, she's got her Play-Doh. And today she's the only one playing with Play-Doh. So she's got every single color that you can imagine. They're all there in front of her. And she takes them all out of their little tubs. And she smells them. And they've got that Play-Doh smell. And, uh, you know, she looks both ways and she takes a little piece and she tastes it and they've got that, that Play-Doh taste. And, uh, and she, she puts one color red first um, on the table and then she takes another one and she puts that on top of that and then she puts another one on the side. And then she takes another one and she puts it on the side. And then uh, she takes another one and she, she sort of squishes it to the front of it and she, she makes a little bit of a nose and it looks like maybe she's going to be making an elephant out of it, a very, very colorful elephant. And, um, and then Steve shows up, agent of chaos. Little Steve shows up. He says, I want the blocks. Adam is not having it. He's playing with the blocks. He's having a good time. And uh, he says, he says, no, Adam wants to play with the blocks. And, and there's other blocks. And, uh, and Steve says, I want the blocks. I want a red block. Adam's, Adam's got all the red blocks and they're very important to him. And he's put up the five red blocks. He's got his tower and, uh, and then Steve says, I just want one red block, one, one red block. And uh, Steve is push, or Adam is pushing Steve away and Steve is pushing at Adam. And finally, Steve manages to come up and he takes out 
one red block and what happens to that tower, the whole thing comes tumbling down on the table. Excuse me, no. Um, Adam was uh, building on the floor. The whole thing comes tumbling down on the floor. Then he goes over to Eve a little bit later and Eve is playing with her Play-Doh. And she's, uh, she's made this sort of uh, Ollie font creature um, because I've named this the Two Towers. And, uh, and he goes up and, and there's this strange sort of mess of rainbow colors that Eve has made. And uh, Steve says, I want the Play-Doh. Give me the Play-Doh. Eve says, I'm, I'm playing with the Play-Doh right now. Um, and, and Steve says, I just want one Play-Doh. Just give me the red Play-Doh. And Eve looks very sad. She's created this, this, uh, this uh, creature. And she watches as Steve reaches out and puts his little toddler hands right in the middle of her creature grabs some Play-Doh and pulls it off and he walks away. And Eve looks at her little Play-Doh Ollie font. It's got a little hole in it now. And the rest of it is still there. And she just does a little bit of squishing and a little bit of molding. She pushes things back in place and she just keeps on playing. And that's the end of my second story, or my uh, the second part. It's my first story. I'm about to tell the third story. I'm going to give a moment for the chat if anyone has anything to say about my first story that I'm not necessarily going to explain. Uh, I didn't have the... <laughs> I didn't have the... Uh, uh, the comments turned on, so this whole time I've just been seeing silence. But apparently, you guys have been have been chatting this whole time. I thought there was no chats at all, but I just realized I didn't have them on. So uh, I, yeah, I appreciate the chat. Sorry that I missed it all. <laughs> nice to see you all there. Uh, yes, Steve is the agent of chaos. Agent of chaos. Okay, um, if I get a chance to, um, at the end of this, we'll have a little bit of chat and, um, and uh, I can fill in some of Steve's backstory. I know that, sh that story was a short one, but typically parables are. So that was a parable. And um, Jesus didn't always explain his parables. I'm not necessarily going to explain that one, but we can come back to it. Um, so now I'm going to tell the third part of this. And if you're still with me, if you're still with me, I want to remind you that each part is going to be a little bit, a little bit more challenging than the part before it. So the challenge of the last one may have been for you that here I am saying Jesus said a thing, but I'm saying this. Maybe that was challenging for you to hear. Um, or maybe this just a, a retelling of such a story uh, makes you think differently about it. With everything that I've said so far, I think that I've set the foundation to tell the last story that I wanna tell. And uh, this story is called um, the story of Adam and Eve and Steve 
featuring Danger Noodle. Long, long ago, in a land far, far away, lived a snake, and the snake's name was Danger Noodle. Danger Noodle was an observer. He was very intelligent. He was the most intelligent of all of the creatures. And this intelligent creature, the snake, was watching. As a man who had an acreage where Danger Noodle had always lived, built a garden. And the acreage that this man had, had woods untouched, mostly. It had wildlife. It had wild flowers. But this garden area was different. It was a full acre on his, on his land. I just called it an acreage. He had more land than this, but the garden was on an acre. And uh, it was a full acre of land that he began to, to, uh, to turn over. He pulled up every tree that was there. He pulled up every, every root, every wildflower, every weed. And he created a foundation. And he trucked in some new soil. And then he built... A greenhouse around the entire thing, a massive structure. In the city where I live, there's a place called Batart Gardens. It's four pyramids. And I'm going to reference Batart Gardens again. It's four pyramids, and each of the pyramids is its own, uh, is its own um, uh, imitation uh, uh, um, climate. There's a tropical one, there's a desert one, and there's a temperate one. Uh, and then there's a fourth one called the Future Pyramid. And I'm gonna come back to that. But as I tell this story, that's what I'm imagining. There's this gigantic glass pyramid that he creates. And inside this gigantic glass pyramid with a foundation with new soil on it, he plants a garden. And this garden is perfect. It has every tree that is exactly the tree that he wants to be in there. He's created a, he's created a, um, uh, a tropical type climate. So he's able to have lots of fruit trees in this, in this uh, sort of um, artificial uh, um, climate that he's creating in here. And, uh, he plants all the trees exactly as he wants them. He plants all of the um, all of the flowers exactly as he wants them, and uh, and he puts in this garden only the insects that he wants to be in there, only the small scurrying creatures that he wants to be in there, and and only 
um, and only the, the animals um, that he wants to be in this garden and none others. And he works on this garden for a very long time. He, he prunes every plant to be exactly the way he wants it to be. He, he protects it from all weather and keeps it exactly the way that it's supposed to be at all times. Um, the, he, he controls the seasons within this, uh, within this little you know, artificial biosphere that he's created. There isn't a single weed in there because everything is perfectly balanced exactly the way that he wants it. And he goes in there um, and he, he clips the little dried pieces of leaves when he sees them so that there isn't a tree that doesn't have a leaf not perfectly in place. And then this man, Danger Noodle sees all this occur. And then he sees this man take three children from a local preschool, Adam and Eve and Steve, and he brings them into this garden and he locks the door. And they stay in there and they sleep in there and they eat in there. Sometimes he visits the garden. Sometimes he brings them food. And when he's in the garden, he trims the trees, takes off every single leaf that isn't perfectly the way that he wants it to be. He takes out every single um, errant, uh, errant flower or weed that shouldn't be there. And these children live inside this garden where the temperature is always perfect and every single tree in there is exactly as it should be, perfectly rounded tops. And they have every single need provided for them. And it's all that they know. And before long, Adam and Eve and Steve forget that there was ever anything else. They forget about blocks. They forget about Play-Doh. And they just know the garden. And that's it. And Danger Noodle sees this happen and he sees them change. Nothing else in the world exists outside of this acre of land. They never get an insect bite. They never see a weed that has thorns on it. And Danger Noodle finds a crack, finds an opening, he gets himself in there and he has a little conversation. And he says, Eve, why do you stay locked inside this garden? And Eve says, what are you talking about? And Danger Noodle says, you've been locked inside this garden for years and you haven't left. Why don't you leave? Why would you confine yourself to this jail, to this prison existence? And she says, everything that I need is given to me. All of my questions are answered. Everything I ever want to know, I just ask uh, the gardener, 
uh, daddy? He answers all my questions. And, uh, and Danger Noodle says, you do understand that there's a world outside of this garden. There's so much more to see and to do. There's, there's, there's folks out there that are like living full lives. Did you know there's other human beings besides Adam and Steve and, and the gardener? And, uh, and, uh, and Eve says, I don't know what you're talking about. And the next time the gardener comes in, Danger Noodle's now in the in the garden and he listens and Eve asks some questions. The gardener says, I don't want you to worry about that. I don't want you to think about that. Everything that you need is right here and every answer that you could ever hear, every answer that you, uh, for any question that you ever have, I will give to you. It's all right here. And she says, but what if I want to leave? And he says, well, if you want to leave, there's a tree in the middle of the garden um, it's about to have some fruit on it. And, uh, if you decide that you want to leave, you can eat some of that fruit. But I'm telling you that if you do, you're going to die. That day, in fact, you'll die. She goes, oh my gosh. He says, I'll let you out, but you won't survive. Danger Noodle hears this and recognizes it for exactly what it is. It's a lie. She's not going to die. It's just a piece of fruit. And there's plenty of people that live outside of the garden. So the snake comes to her and he says, what did the gardener say? And Eve says, the gardener told me that if I eat the fruit, that, that if I want out of the garden, I need to eat the fruit. And if I leave the garden, that I'm going to die the same day. And the, the snake danger noodle says, no, no, the gardener is lying to you. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to become like him. You're going to get to go where you want. You're going to get to decide your own life. You're going to get to experience other people outside of this perfectly curated world. You're going to understand what it feels like to get pricked by a weed. You're going to know what it feels like to get bitten by a mosquito. You're going to know what it feels like to have pain. You're not going to die. It's not going to be easy. But you can be like him. She goes, okay, I'm going to do it. And she goes over to the tree and she takes one of the fruits and she takes a bite. And then she finds Adam and she asks him, Adam, do you want to leave the garden with me? And he says, anything you say, Eve. And she gives him uh, the fruit and he takes a bite. And then uh, he goes to Steve. Steve is their non-binary friend. He's a little older now. He's discovered new things about himself. He's starting to uh, starting to experiment with his pronouns. Sometimes goes by they and them. And so Adam and Eve go to Steve and they say, "Hey, Steve, do you want to leave the garden with us?" They tell Steve what the snake told them. 
And Steve says, yeah, I do. And they take a bite of the fruit. And the gardener comes and the snake watches as the gardener says, I was only gonna have you in here if you were just like all of these trees whose leaves I cut perfectly, whose, uh, um, whose branches I prune to be exactly the way I want them. They don't, they don't disobey me. They listen to every single thing that I say and every single thing that I do. Um, and if I can't have perfection in here, if I can't have obedience, then you have to leave. And he kicked them out. And Adam and Eve and Steve looked at one another and they looked at Danger Noodle. And I said, Danger Noodle, are we gonna die today? Because that's what the gardener said. Danger, Danger Noodle said, no, you're not. You're not gonna die. Not today, not today. And Adam said, how is it different out here? And the snake said, well, for one thing, you're gonna have to go to work. You're gonna have to go to work maybe every day, maybe five days a week, maybe a couple of jobs, and it's gonna be hard. And you might have chronic pain and you might still have to go to work and you might get old and your body might not work as well as it used to. And you might continue going to work anyway. And you're gonna to have to work for someone who might not really care so much about your body and your needs. And, he, and Adam says, oh my gosh, does everybody have to do this? Does everybody have to work this way out here? And Danger Noodle says, no, not everybody. Some people don't. Um, some people live lives that are really easy. They're the ones that you work for. They're the ones that own the businesses that people like you have to work hard for. So no, this isn't for everybody, but it will be for you. It's called capitalism. And Adam's angry, he says, this isn't right. And Eve says, is this true for me too? And Danger Noodle says, I'm afraid so. Uh, this, is, this is the life that you've got. And Steve, they, they look at Adam and Eve and say, do I have to work like this too? And, and uh, Danger Noodle looks at them and says, yeah, as a matter of fact, you do. This is the capitalist world that you are now alive in. And Eve says, oh my gosh, does it get any worse than this? And uh, Danger Noodle says, as a matter of fact, it does. Um, uh, unfortunately, we've, we've, we've got a system. We've got a system, a way of being in the world where there's folks that kind of look like Adam. And, uh, and most things have been created to make life easiest for them and harder for you. And folks that look like you, Eve, um, are living in a world that wasn't exactly created by folks that look like you or for folks that look like you. They were made by and for folks that look like Adam. And everything that you do is gonna be a little bit harder 
and everything that you do is going to be, um, <laughs> there's going to be questions of the ways that you're supposed to be in the world. And in fact, um, you're going to be told by folks that look like Adam that there's a way to dress, that there's a way to speak, that there's a way to relate to other people. And that's just the way things are for you. And Adam says, oh my gosh, that's, that's terrible. What, uh, what, about, what about me? Does that mean things are easier for me? And, and, and Danger Noodle says, no, 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 not necessarily. Um, uh, the same system says that there's ways that you need to be too. In fact, there's gonna be people that tell you that you're not allowed to cry. There's gonna be people that tell you that uh, when you have pain because you're working every day, you're not allowed to tell people how you feel about that. Um, you have to live in the world without emotions, unless it's anger. This system is called patriarchy. And then, uh, and then Steve says, oh my gosh, this sounds terrible. What does this mean for me? Um, can it get worse than this? And Danger Noodle says, better, worse, who's to say? But Steve, there's folks in the world today that don't believe that you even exist. And you may have to spend the rest of your life justifying that existence to folks that are angry that you even exist in the world at all. And Adam and Eve and Steve said, Danger Noodle, did you, did you trick us? This sounds terrible. Maybe I wanna go back to the garden. And Danger Noodle said, when you were in the garden, you didn't actually have anything. But what you have now is your own body and your own mind and a life that you get to live where yes, you will die and you get to spend it resisting this capitalism, this patriarchy, this heterosexism, every injustice. You get to get your hands dirty saying no, because it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. And you can spend the rest of your life seeing it change. You can seek revolution. And that's the end of my third story. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adam is him, though. Um, I've got the chat back on. Um, it kind of disappears. It kind of disappears and appears. So I'm going to just sort of scroll through it here. I, I'd love to hear how you guys are feeling. I'm not necessarily in a hurry to leave. Um, I want to hear from Josh about uh, what needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, whether we need to shut down soon, but I'm happy to chat with you all. Um, thanks Lisa for being here. I'm glad you were here. I hope that as you consider these stories and as you consider these challenges that you find that they are, 
um, life-giving to you. I hope that they, um, they challenge you in ways that can help you grow and um, that you would consider not uh, consider opening any hands that you have that might be holding on tight to things that you've been scared to question because there is life outside of the walls of dogmatism. Um, I am here right now still loving Jesus very much outside the walls of dogmatic thought. And uh, we don't need to be afraid of things that are true about the Bible. We don't need to be afraid of our, um, of questioning our, uh, um, questioning our, uh, the things that we've been taught to believe. And my friends, if you end up believing something different than your neighbor or someone you go to church with or somebody that you go to, go to work with, that's okay. Um, the fourth pyramid at the Matard is called the Future Pyramid, and it's my least favorite. Um, I didn't end up referencing the Matard again, but I will go back and say that. So the Matard is the Future Pyramid, and it's the one that people go to when they have weddings. And um, and the Future Pyramid, everything is um, everything is uh, uh, basically a flower arrangement. It's changed every month so that people will come back to the Matard Gardens. Um, so instead of having a, a temperature-controlled environment that's a, a tropical environment or a, or a desert environment or a temperate uh, environment, it's um, <clears throat> exactly, as I said, basically a flower arrangement. And uh, it's the one that people will go to to get wedding pictures taken. Um, but if you go into that one that's changed every month and you take a look just past the surface of the soil, you'll find flower pots because it isn't a real garden. Even though it looks like all the other pyramids, um, it's not the same. It's not, it's not a real garden, it's not a real environment. It's literally just potted flowers that are placed in there in a pretty arrangement and it looks very beautiful, but it isn't real. And uh, they, they, they change it every month so that people will come back and see something new and they'll have an Alice in Wonderland theme or they'll have a, a um, they've had all kinds of themes. I'm just gonna be here for Edmonton tourism right now. Please come to Edmonton, Alberta and visit the Matart Gardens and hey, look me up. We can go for coffee. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the feature pyramid is, uh, was a bit of an inspiration for that third story and how, um, um, there's something better. There's something better than a, than, a, than a beautiful environment that isn't real. So, okay, what have we got in the chats here? Ray was worried for a moment. I, uh, ah, I wonder, Ray, if when you say perfectly balanced, if you recognize that I was describing how patriarchy harms men. Um, maybe that's what you were talking about. Um, I think that that's important. I think it's important for us to, um, to recognize that patriarchy doesn't just harm women. Patriarchy is a, is a fake, <laughs> it's a fake construct that we're allowed to question. And, um, it's something that we made up. Human beings made it up. It's not real. And it doesn't just harm women, it harms men too. Um, 
it uh, forces us to try and become something that isn't necessarily who we are. And uh, I, um, yeah, I want to get my hands dirty fighting that stuff. Okay, yeah, Ray, exactly that. Um, who else was here? Um, Lou says Adam is a himbo. Hello, Lou. Uh, hi, Selena. Okay, not a lot of not a lot of new stuff. Um, Lewis wants to know about the character arc of Steve. Um, I, I, I invite you to write your own story <laughs> about, about Steve. I guess I told you a little bit more about Steve because Steve moved into the garden, right? Um, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that they escaped and learned some things about themselves. Okay. Not a lot of new chats. Um, hey, thinking of you all, thanks for being here and, um, have you ever read The Pillow Man? I've never read The Pillow Man. Um, Josh was suggesting reading The Pillow Man. Um, I don't know it. But if we're recommending things, I did listen to a podcast this morning. Um, that was a, it's a play, but um, let's see, Joshua says Pillow Man is a play that has similar themes. Maybe it has similar themes to the stuff I was talking about. That sounds really cool. I did see a play um, at the Fringe Festival here in Edmonton, um, and it was, oh my gosh, what was it called? Oh no, um, The Gospel According to Puppetry. I don't remember what it was called. The Gospel According to Felt, that's what it was called. And it was uh, Jesus, thanks Ray. <laughs> uh, that's a weird jar you're drinking out of, it's a mason jar. Um, uh, so I saw, I saw a play called The Gospel According to Felt, um, and uh, the play that Josh was talking about is by Martin McDonoghue. Okay. Uh, three billboards, he mentions. So The Gospel According to Felt was a, was a one-act play where uh, someone had a puppet that he uh, named Jesus, and uh, Jesus basically comes and, and tells us how he feels about how things are going. It was very good. Um, and I listened to a podcast this morning that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my talk, but uh, since we're recommending things right now, there's, a, there's an interview on um, a podcast called You Make It Weird, which is Steve Holmes' podcast. Steve Holmes is a comedian, and he interviews Bo Burnham, who some of you might know as the comedian who did uh, the special Inside, um, which was a musical special on Netflix that came out during pandemic lockdown. Um, and uh, so Pete Holmes is interviewing um, Bo Burnham, and it's the third time that Bo Burnham is on the show. So it's called Bo Burnham Number Three, and it is fabulous. I absolutely recommend it. Um, and uh, I've really been enjoying that particular podcast. I, uh, um, I discovered it uh, when I was looking for podcasts featuring Peter Rollins, and I found an interview of Peter Rollins by Pete Holmes, the comedian, which was also very good. Anyway, uh, that's, that's all I've got to say about that. 
All right. Uh, thank you all for being here. Please uh, think of Jay. Um, if he was in the chat, that's great. Um, and uh, thanks. Um, it's been a it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for giving me your time. Um, yeah, I agree, Josh. Um, is there a, is there something? Oh yes, I was going to say is there something that Jay usually says at the end? But there absolutely is something Jay says at the end. This is a YouTube video. It's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, on YouTube in a moment. So let's say all of the YouTube things. Um, Revolution is a registered charity in the United States. And if you're in the United States, you can make tax deductible donations. Um, and uh, that money, um, it could go towards um, seeing uh, some folks get paid that are currently volunteers. Um, also, uh, in the past, Revolution has had an in-person congregation and is still looking at doing that again. Um, that has been different since, uh, since uh, basically COVID times. Um, and so it costs money to, to do that sort of thing. Also, all the YouTube things, uh, if you liked this video, give it a thumbs up. It doesn't cost anything to give it a thumbs up. Uh, if you uh, have something to say about this video and you're not in the live chat right now, do you want to share something, write something in the comments below. I will be around and looking at the comments after the video is posted. So uh, if you have questions afterwards, I'll be in the comments there. Um, and, uh, and subscribe to Revolution Broadcasting. And uh, if you're on, uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you get your podcasts, give it a give it a review. Doesn't cost anything to do that either. Um, thank you so much for listening. Next week, Jay Baker is going to be back, and uh, um, yeah, uh, love y'all. Be kind to each other. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.